0: I think we're in a beginning of a new dawn. Clearly, COVID has advanced mRNA in a big way, but I think this is the start of nucleic acid therapies and prophylactic vaccines. We're learning a lot and it's moving very, very rapidly. So I think the next five years will be remarkable in terms of how we see some of these nucleic acid modalities move forward and then moving forward at pace. Conversations in Healthcare from Clarivate. Hello, everyone.
1: I'm Mike Ward, and welcome to Conversations in Healthcare, a series of fireside chats brought to you by Clarivate. This is an opportunity to hear at first hand the the challenges and opportunities facing the healthcare industry, and how business leaders in the sector are actually managing them. In recent years, we've seen that by harnessing the power of DNA, it has been possible to achieve success in treating previously incurable hereditary diseases, or even tackling the COVID-19 pandemic. However, whether the answer is cell or gene therapies or RNA vaccines, one thing that they have in common is that they require DNA in some form or another as the starting material. And therein lies the problem, because conventional techniques of producing DNA are not fast or precise enough to actually produce the the volumes needed. It was this challenge of making synthetic DNA more efficiently that inspired today's guest, uh, Johnny Olson, a serial entrepreneur with a background in the advertising industry, to establish Touchlight, which has developed a novel synthetic DNA vector and enzymatic manufacturing process to enable it to produce DNA at unprecedented speed, scale, and purity. So, Johnny, thanks very much for, for, for joining me today.
0: Thanks very much for having me, Mike.
1: So, before we jump into exactly what you're able to do at Touchlight, first I'd first like to understand how you actually sort of switched professional horses. I mean, you know, as I mentioned, you started your career in the advertising industry.
0: So, what prompted that switch? Well, actually, there were <laughs> there were a number <laughs> of careers in between advertising and, and biotech. Um, and I, I suppose it was somewhat serendipitous Every time I switched uh, career, the one thing that uni- careers one thing that united it was that uh, I was working with greater people. Uh, I started off in advertising. I ran an advertising agency when I was re- relatively young. I started working with Nick Jones uh, in developing Soho House. I got into uh, energetic medicine, Uh, I founded a charity, and then I founded Touchline. But the one thing that united all of that is that I was working with creative people and managing creative talent. And and whilst from the outside, it looks a real stretch to get from advertising all the way through to biotech. To me, at the time, it seemed entirely logical. I mean, it's interesting, Johnny. So you're talking about sort of creative industries.
1: but I, I was just wondering, with a lot of you know entrepreneurs uh, or people who are sort of founding biotech companies, they do actually have a sort of science background. So I was just wondering how did you go about sort of doing the sort of the due diligence without having that sort of like deep domain uh, science knowledge? and, and actually, you know, given your, your background, which stakeholders, when you're trying to bring them together, were the most difficult to win over to your the vision that you, you have at, at Touchlight?
0: Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. The, the reason that this came about, like any entrepreneur starts out a business, because they start off with an idea. And I had an idea at the turn of the millennia, uh, which was desperately naive which was, if you looked at the 20th century, it was defined by the computer. We got there by understanding coding and algorithms. And at the turn of the millennia, we sequenced the human genome, thereby unleashing the code for all of nature. So coding changed in the 20th century. The thought was, imagine what DNA could do in the 21st. And uh, again, serendipitous serendipitously, I, I, I met a scientist who was an entomologist and was somewhat of a polymath and uh, actually was working on a theory at the time that links quantum mechanics and, and astrophysics, but had some ideas about what you could do with, with thermophilic bacteria. And I said, well, you know, I'm really interested in those. And, uh, and her name was Dr. Hill. And uh, she said, well, look, you could use thermophilic bacteria as, as a vector. And like all these things, uh, I I thought this was very interesting, but I had no expertise in it. So um, when we looked at, I did my own background reading, but I pulled in experts and uh, to to, do due diligence into the ideas. And uh, I was fortunately introduced by Dr. Hill to uh, Professor Sandy Primrose, who wrote a lot of the early books in in uh in dna and and dr neil porter who was the first employee at zenova and i funded them for a year to do diligence into Dot hill's ideas and actually the main idea within a month they came back to me and said look we don't think this is something you should go forward with but uh did you know how you made dna and i said i haven't got a clue how you made dna he said well you inserted gene of interest into a circular bit of DNA called a plasmid and you put in a giant vat of E. coli and then you've got a complicated lysis and purification process and you end up with a tiny amount of material. And I thought, well, if DNA, if if genomic medicine is going to evolve, that's not the process you base it on. And uh, they said, well, please, you said this because Dr. Hill has been trying to amplify uh, a really complicated gene that bugs don't like. And it was the dystrophin gene. And she's been trying to co-opt two enzymes to be able to amplify it. And I thought, well, that sounds very interesting. And so we then used the next 11 months of diligence to look around the patent IP around synthetic DNA. And nobody was developing anything anywhere. I mean, this was 2007, so a long time ago. And to answer your question more directly, you know, I have relied all the way through this on very brilliant scientists. And I see my role as as helping those scientists get towards the goal and and finding the finance finding the uh, further people finding the team being ahead of where the need of the business was in thinking about how this business could advance such that we could build a successful company out of it right
1: so could we do a little deeper dive into the key components therefore of you know, that core technology that, you know, that 11 months of due diligence was, I guess, focusing on. And you mentioned it was 2007 that you were doing all this. So I'd also be intrigued to understand, you know, how is the the sort of the technology and the science that underpins Touchlight's offering, how has that evolved uh, since you founded the business?
0: So Neil Porter uh, amazed me insofar as he could trawl through Endless IP and map out where the white space was, and for us there was tons of black and white. So nobody was in bed, investing in, uh, or inventing inside the space. So first of all, we developed a technology roadmap, and actually the technology roadmap that we worked on back in two thousand and seven is still continuing. Um, and that was the core IP was. Uh, enabling dna to amplify outside bugs that's where we started off and uh, and so then we recruited so we filed our first bit of ip back in 2009 and and genuinely nobody was working in the space and and then we recruited some really brilliant innovative uh, ideas based scientists and said that this is the first core ip that we wanted that we were going to develop but the fulcrum of the business as it went forward was always going to be more IP and filling in this patent white space. So we recruited these scientists under the belief that they would disrupt our own IP. And th- and in doing so, they would come up with better processes that we could advance uh, and scale the technology, that we could look at automation as to how we grow the technology. And, and each time we came up with an innovation, we filed IP on it and uh, and as such we we've developed over well we've got over 100 granted patents now we've got 15 patent families all the way around the world and we've had a very much an innovation culture under the core belief that it's a better way to make dna outside bugs outside bacteria and now we're looking at new novel molecules single-stranded dna and the like and and obviously i'm not going to go into our sort of unpatented IP, but we've very much got an innovation culture and I have a big team here that is pioneering how this whole area is going to evolve in the future, as, as you rightly said in your introduction, as this new space of genomic medicine evolves. And so we've always tried to be one step ahead in what we can do in terms of scale, in terms of automation, in terms of the fidelity, in terms of having the manufacturing platform for the future, and
1: how does how does Touchlight interact with other stakeholders within the ecosystem? I mean, do you, do you co-create you know s- s- some of these processes with with with, with, with partners?
0: Actually, we, we have a load of collaborations with both academic group and industrial groups. But uh, the core IP is, is developed here in, in Hampton in the UK. But we, we have a, a load of collaboration around the world. We've actually worked uh, during COVID with Pfizer, and that ended up being a license that we uh, transacted with them last year. Uh, we work with many CDMOs. The, our CDMO Itself in making the synthetic DNA is growing it over a new customer a week. And with that, um, we are having interesting conversations with people who are looking at new demands as this field rapidly expands. So we've got collaborations with beta testing on some new molecules that we're developing with gene editing companies around the world. We've got collaborations in animal vaccines. We've got collaborations in the next generation of prophylactic vaccines. We have a collaboration with Gates, for example, in looking at where DNA vaccines may go in the future, which is utterly fascinating. And indeed, we're spinning out our own oncology company and looking at how we could potentially get into prophylactic vaccines for cancer, which would be utterly brilliant should it evolve through the clinic.
1: Yeah, that that answers actually the sort of the question that was spring to my mind. Did you have any ambitions beyond being a sort of high tech CDMO to actually creating your own medicines based on the the technology? And it sounds like the vaccine route is a potential route that you might want to go down.
0: Uh, uh, absolutely, yes. I mean, right from the beginning, and I, I I know everybody says this in the space, but genuinely, I entered this not. Just for a commercial entity, but also I want to do something that of social benefit as well. I'd set up a successful charity before, and I sort of got the taste of what that was all about. And I'm absolutely compelled by the ability potentially of DNA vaccines being used in a cancer setting or a rapid solution should any new horrible virus appear and uh, and. Frankly, you know, when I die, if we treated one person through this evolution of, this, of our platform and they were in remission for cancer, then I would die a happy person, uh, genuinely. And that's not somebody who's feigning false hopes or anything. I genuinely believe this, this uh, platform has a potential to really advance genomic medicine, which is why we congregate alou- around the line, the making of DNA. Which is not just about making DNA; it's all about advancing the sector.
1: Yeah, so I often in, in these conversations in healthcare would ask uh, my guests, so you know, what ultimately would success look like? And I, I think you've actually sort of answered that o- already in terms of your your own personal ambition or vision of, of of what you would like to achieve. Do you have any sort of sense, though, you know, how long it's actually really going to take? for us to be able to achieve those milestones and, and, and that vision.
0: So, so it's been 15 years so far. And, and, yeah. and to, to, to be honest, I when I founded the company, I really didn't think it was going to be this long. They always say it uh, takes longer and costs more. And, and, and that's a, a, a truism. We're going into the clinic with a therapeutic cancer vaccine. Biontech and Moderna are evolving it. I think we're in a beginning of a new dawn. Clearly, COVID, and as you rightly highlighted through your introduction, has advanced mRNA in a big way. But I think this is the start of nucleic acid therapies and prophylactic vaccines. We're learning a lot, and it's moving very, very rapidly. So I think the next five years will be remarkable in terms of how we see some of these nucleic acid modalities move forward, and they're moving forward at pace. But can I just also... um, Bring you back to the question because I, you know, I think it's it's too easy to say the sole ambition is to treat people and, and cure people of horrible disease. The other important factor is making everything whole for those people that supported me, supported the company along, and indeed the employees along the way. So, um, you know, if you're going to found a biotech company and you, <laughs> and people look at you and say, "Well, hold on, say you." Worked in advertising. You worked in clubs. You worked in it. It's not exactly a, a, a likely route, and you're not going to have VCs banging your doors down uh, to invest in you. Uh, and so there were people that took remarkable uh, leaps of faith, and and uh, and at some point, uh, including including employees who um, loved the vision of what we were doing, but they were taking a gamble with their career, and I want to make them whole. And as such, every single person of the 150 or so employees we have at Dutchlight own options in the company, and that's a philosophy we're going to continue.
1: Right. Yeah, and you mentioned about the sort of the financing. I mean, you know many biotech startups, you know, they're bankrolled by specialist venture capitalist funds. Uh, you know, many of those have got many years of experience. As I understand it, some of your original financial backers, however, came from not what we could describe as non-traditional uh, backgrounds, you know, sort of I being progressive rock stars, et cetera. And I just sort of wondered, sort of, what, you know, what did you show uh, or do to, to to convince, you know, people like that to back your vision, you know, invest in the business?
0: So first off, I put my own money in. And, you know, I, I think those people wanted to know that I was putting my neck on the line as well. And then it sort of, the first cohort of investors were friends of friends and then that widened and then we had a few people so so a great friend of mine was was uh, sadly died in a tragic boating accident uh was was boss of Sky Media and he invested and said look I don't know what you're going to do but I'm I'm behind you and and, and put in small man money under EIS, and, and, and then uh, some other groups of people came in, and then they knew somebody who would do diligence for them. So we had a former head of banking of one of the big banks in, in healthcare. They invested PA. Another group invested PA. And they lived next door to um, somebody who managed the money for the people you're referring to, bands who were progressive rock stars. But they also live next door to people. You know, if you look down our cap table, it's ridiculous. You know, we've got actors, professional tennis players, we've got prog rock stars. We've got. It's a remarkable cap table. But we've also got people who really understand the space and could buy into the vision of where synthetic DNA is going to go. So I, I mentioned in my introduction that you know
1: one of the things is that the you know sort of the DNA vector and the enzymatic manufacturing process you know, has been designed to enable you to produce dna at unprecedented speed scale and purity i mean could you give us sort of some sort of sense of what that actually looks like i mean if i was a, a potential partner i'm going to be interested in your what's in it for me so what what can you give the sort of the headline this is what we're able to do for you
0: it's a five-day process and and that is not fully optimized yet we think we'll get it down to a two-day process from, you know, for during COVID, uh, to put it in the context, from sequence to multiple gram GMP, i.e. clinical material batch. We were under three weeks. We think we can get that down to well, certainly less than half of that. And so that is, is speed. So when you're looking at, let's say, the next pandemic, clearly, if it, it should, it, let's say if it doesn't happen, but if it did, You'd need to get a lot of material very, very, very quickly, and in terms of scale, um, we've built the biggest DNA manufacturing plant in the world, where we're in theory able to make a kilogram of DNA a month, which is a lot of DNA. So the the the, the facility has been set up to cater for that kind of expansion. The process itself, um, so so speed is uh, is is unprecedented. You know, if you go to a, a, D, uh, a, a plasmid provider at the moment, you know, A, they're backed up. um There is a um, bottleneck in getting it. So you've got to get a slot. You've got big fixed equipment uh, that needs to be cleaned down. You've got the propagation process. So it, it, it's, a, it's a different paradigm in terms of speed and not just in terms of pandemic, but if you are looking at bespoke cancer therapies, we're going to need to get to pure DNA very, very quickly. And that's what our platform affords. But it's not just about speed. And it's not just about scale. It's also about purity. And this is where I'm, I'm delighted about the advance that the team has done here. In uh, we responded to sort of a regulatory pull, which was um, they were concerned about the variable quality of plasmid. And hence, uh, we were called to a meeting with the FDA last year, and we were encouraged to submit a drug master file which was uh, for for our platform which was accepted i think in december maybe early january this year and so there is a, that that sort of purity aspect and and the ability to control a process because you know what we've done with synthetic DNA is shift it from being a biological process through a biochemical process and ultimately we see this mo- moving towards Chemistry, and a lot of our new IP is 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 related to the underlying chemistry of what we 're doing
1: absolutely fascinating and uh, great progress, particularly with the uh, fda uh, master file um, i'd just like to revisit you know the, the fact you came from. A different background, right? So it wasn't sort of, you know, sort of the traditional background of most biotech founders, which is, you know, scientific academic, you know, they were running laboratories, or they've come from the pharma industry. And I just sort of wonder, what do you think, or how do you think your background in a creative sector, such as advertising, has actually influenced your management style as you've been building uh, Touchlight, and your what are the relative like strengths and weaknesses that you have observed over sort of the last 15 16 years that you've been building Touchlight?
0: so uh i think it's a fair point to say that i was if i was asked to write an ad it wouldn't be very creative if i was asked to cook a meal uh, it wouldn't be very good <laughs> if i was i if i was asked to build a house uh, it would it would look like a pile of rubble. If I was asked to do a DNA experiment, I wouldn't know one end of a pipette from the other. And I think in 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 that is uh, an important lesson: is that you know the evolution of our our technology. It's clearly nothing to do with me. It's to do with brilliant scientists. But brilliant scientists need a home. They need uh, a direction. They need finance. They need Legal support, they need uh, HR uh, HR support, and actually somebody's got to lead all that stuff. And and uh, and actually, I think it was an advantage from not coming from the sector in a way that I could be really objective about that. I mean, to be honest, I haven't had a decent night's sleep since I founded the company because I've had to think much harder than most would, because it would come naturally to somebody who would be in the sector but also I've had to rely incredibly heavily on brilliant people because I won't be in a room to talk science because it would have no credibility. But uh, in going to an investor and saying, look, this is where we're going to get you, where the company is going to go, this is where the plan is, this is how we're going to get there, then I think um, uh, I, 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 I serve a decent function. Um, uh, and, and, you know, I think that is evident in how far Touchlight has come. The interesting thing is, people didn't look at science companies or biotech companies as creative industries, I don't think. Um, and, and, and actually, if I, I did a little exercise when I looked at the government's own uh, definition of what the creative industry is, and biotechs and science aren't there. And yet the definition of a creative industry is taking an idea, turning it into intellectual intellectual property, and commercializing it, which is exactly what biotechs do. And so why not come from advertising and see that, you know, in advertising I wrote the brief. Uh, I persuaded the client. The rate writing the brief is writing the strategic plan, writing, uh, have the client was in fact your financial master. And so we were uh, going to the investors and saying, this is where we're doing, this is where we're going, this is the, the our direction of travel, and, and this is how we're going to commercialise it, and this is how we're building the model, and this is the, um, this is, uh, the market opportunity. Uh, 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 and the fact that I couldn't do any of the science meant that, A, I knew what I had to do, because I certainly couldn't do the science, and B, I had to rely and have very trusting relationships with utterly remarkable people who I dearly respect and back to the analogy of of not making ads one thing i think anybody who manages creative people is that they have deep respect for those creative people and and the one thing i'm to this day it's been 15 years but i'm in awe of the brilliance of the scientists that, that that we we employ and and what they're doing and how they're how they can um, you know how they can evolve their practice to further the advancement of the field, whether in immunology, molecular biology, manufacturing, whatever it may be. These guys are utterly brilliant, and I have deep respect for them.
1: Now, in one of your answers, you mentioned that. It's been 15 years since you founded the company and it's taken a lot longer than you had initially envisaged. So I was just wondering, knowing what you now know, if you could start again, what would you do the same and and what might you do differently?
0: Well, firstly, I would readjust my time expectations. Uh, uh, That's the the first thing. I mean, uh, you know, what, what... I didn't foresee COVID. I didn't foresee Brexit. Um, you know, uh, probably if I knew, um, if I had a crystal ball back in 2007, you know, you'd probably say you would set up in America because 70% of the, um, the genomic medicine biotechs are based there and proximity is, is helpful. That said, uh, Britain is a brilliant place to innovate because there's some very, very, very brilliant scientists. And uh, and it's very under, underutilised, and um, the, the scientific t- uh, talent pool that we have here. And uh, and I, I absolutely do not regret a single scientist that I've met along the way. And as I said, we've got 150 of, of them here. So actually, I... The temptation would be to go to America, but I think here is a great place to innovate. Um, probably, I, if I did it all over again, I would have hoped that we got there, wherever there may be, a little bit quicker, and then we could have ridden the COVID wave uh, for, for DNA vaccines in the way that mRNA did. Um, uh, and, I, and and we weren't ready at that time, but we've made massive advances in the, in the last two years. Um, so I guess anything I would have done differently would have been around time. But I actually genuinely I have no regrets, bar uh, I've had to think too hard. I wish I met some people earlier, and um, and uh, I wish I'd cracked sleeping better than I have.
1: Yeah, and I'm thinking actually also given the fact that you're you're based in Hampton near Richmond, which is probably one of the nicest parts of London. Uh, you'd be pretty hard pressed to find somewhere in the US that came anywhere close to, to close to that.
0: Gina, can I can I just pick, pick you up on that, Mike? Because uh, in two weeks' time, we're going to open this new facility here in 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 Hampton. It's utterly remarkable. It was, uh, and and this is sort of goes. I mentioned serendipity before. I met a chap by the name of Andrew Black, who was the founder of Backfire, who's a wonderful man, and uh, he said, "Look, I'll look at your biotech." If you look at my building when I was looking for finance in in 2010, I think it was, and uh, and I thought that was a bit of a strange request. And, I, and but then I I he funded he funded diligence into Touchlight and, and said, look, I'm going to invest. Now come and look at my building. And I said, well, okay, that's a bit strange, but I came here and uh, and came onto this site. I said, what do you want to do with this building? And it, it had been dormant for. 70 years. And it's a huge, huge water pumping station. He said, well, I want to turn it into a hotel. And I said, well, I can promise you, it's not going to work. And he said, why? I gave him five, five reasons. And I said, well, actually, it has a very long story short. If you make it good for us, or make part of the building good for us, we'll move in here. And uh, he said, well, how am I going to get a return from that? And I said, by investing in the company. And uh, and he liked that thought. Uh, Gradually, we've taken over the whole site, and it's beautiful. It is really, really iconic, and it it is, um, as I say, it's going to be the biggest manufacturing plant in the world. And part of the belief of of, of running Touchlight like a creative industry, and that I discussed with Andrew Black back back in the day, was that if you create wonderful spaces, you attract wonderful people. And and sci- scientists so often with re- science was so often regarded as a subterranean activity, but if you could make really beautiful labs, then it would inspire them to do really brilliant science, and that's what we did. And uh, I urge you to look at the. Um, please go and have a look at our website and look at um, look at the building. Uh, we're going to announce it in the next couple of weeks, but it, it's it's absolutely beautiful, uh, and uh, and we did it with our own money, uh, with Burt's money, and Andrew Black's money, and, uh, and, and I'm very, 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 very proud of what we've created.
1: I think that's a very um, positive note uh, on which to sort of you know, end our uh, discussion. I mean, it's great, great talking to you. I, I've really appreciated you coming here. And I think that the, I think sort of the journey, and the observations that you shared with us are going to sort of you know, resonate uh, with many of our, our listeners. And on that point, I'd actually like to thank our audience for taking the time to, to listen to this Conversations in Healthcare podcast. If after listening to this broadcast, uh, you'd like to tune in to future conversations in healthcare, Follow our LinkedIn page, because that's where we'll be posting alerts for future uh, episode releases. So in closing, I'd like to thank Johnny again for joining me and also you, the audience. I'm Mike Ward, and I hope to see you on the next episode. Goodbye.
0: Please follow and listen to other editions of Conversations in Healthcare, where you can hear the thoughts of key opinion leaders from across the whole of the healthcare ecosystem. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or other podcast directories. Share, like, review, or join the conversation with your comments on Twitter, LinkedIn, or Facebook by clicking on the share link.